Well, good morning. My name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here in Windsor Community Church. And I get to open the word this morning as we finish up Genesis 24. I'll give you a chance to get turned there. For those of you who are regular, you know that we start in a book of the Bible and we we step through it verse by verse by verse. And, And when we hit something like Genesis 24... We step through it verse by verse, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Now, last week, we started chapter 24, and we saw that Abraham, who is the patriarch of the Jewish nation, uh, God called him out of the land where his parents were and said, I want you to move to this land, and and don't you worry about it. I'll show you where you're going to go, and I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the seashore. Numerous as the seashore? Numerous as the... Say that really quick three times. Numerous as the sand. Okay, numerous. Numerous. Let's go to stars in the heavens, okay? That one sounds... That rolls off a little bit better. The point was his descendants were going to be numerous. But then there's this problem. As Abraham gets older and older... And older, Abraham doesn't have any kids. And so he's thinking to himself, how is this, how is this numerous thing? How are my descendants going to... I don't even have any kids. In fact, my heir is this, this guy from somewhere else. He's not, even, he's not even part of my line. That's just not going to work. But eventually, God does bring him an heir. When he's 100 years old... Sarah, his wife, gives birth to Isaac. Good. We're just making sure everybody's paying attention as we kind of step through this book. This is 13 chapters right here that we just did in a minute and a half. Okay. Gives birth to Isaac. And then in chapter 23, we see that Sarah dies. And Abraham now looks forward and says, you know what? It's my job. It's my job as a father to find a wife for my son. And so I'm going to do that. And so he gets his most trusted servant, the one who's entrusted over everything in his his possession, and sends him off with an oath. And that's where we were last week. And so there are two views here. Last week we took this 30,000 foot view. Because that's the view that we said, it it kind of looks like providence. When you look at it from 30,000 feet, you say, wow, okay. Abraham said, God's going to send an angel ahead of you. Don't worry. The girl's going to be there. Pick her up, throw on her camel, and bring her home. It's providence. I have no doubt in my mind that God's going to provide Rebecca for you. So just go get her. And so now this this guy goes on this multi-hundred, three-week journey out to where Abraham's kinfolk were and finds Rebecca, just like he said. And and from 30,000 feet, you say, you know what? This is obvious to us because as as new covenant Christians, as people who have seen this story unfold through history, knowing that Abraham and his line, who's going to come from that? Jesus, the Messiah. And we know that God is going to make this provision. He knows that Isaac needs a wife because Isaac's descendants are also going to be as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. Got it. I have to slow that one down a little bit. I'm a math guy. You know, the, the words just don't roll off like that. So, so we, have this, we have this provision that we can see looking 
backwards. But now today, we're going to look at Rebecca. Because Rebecca's no longer at 30,000 feet. Rebecca's this bored 16-year-old girl. Who knows how old she was, but she's probably pretty young or she'd be married by now. Because A, she was beautiful, and B, she worked hard. So my guess is she wouldn't have lasted single very long. Am I allowed to say that? You know, she's just going by her day-to-day. You know, it's time, and it says the, time, he, he, the, the servant gets to the spring of water. This is where we were last week. The time when the women come to the spring to dip out water, to the well to get water. And so this is Rebecca's job, right? How many 16-year-old girls are in here that go and get water every day? Okay, so they go down to the well, and here's what it says. It says she goes down, she gets the water, and she comes back up. I mean, this girl is just about her business. She goes down there, she gets her water, she's heading back. She's just going about the day-to-day. And you could have seen her on the way there, kicking rocks. Oh, yeah, gotta go get the water. Gotta go wash the donkey. I gotta, oh, I gotta do all this work. And she gets the water jug, and she, she comes out. It's just day to day is normal. We, we have to have Rebecca's perspective here for a minute. Rebecca didn't get up that morning and go, my prince is coming in. Now, she may have been thinking that, right? She is a girl. And so she... Okay, I don't have girls, but, but I think that's probably true, right? You, maybe I should not go there. I've been told by my wife that girls tend to think this way, that, you know, the prince is coming in on my donkey and, or on my camel and, and is going to take me away someday. So she, she probably had those thoughts, but nothing out of the ordinary. She didn't expect to come out of that well and have this... this phenomenally wealthy person standing there saying, "Um, excuse me, miss, can I have a drink? And oh, by the way, your entire life is going to change in the next 10 minutes. She she, she didn't go to the well that day thinking of that. Right? And so as we get into this this second half or second two-thirds of the story, we want to have both views. Right? Keep the 30,000-foot view in mind. God's hand in the provision of this nation where the Messiah is going to come is undeniable. But on the other side, there's just nothing supernatural here. The girl gets up, she goes to the well, she gets the water, her life changes in a minute. But she isn't waiting for that. You woke up this morning and you said, oh, Sunday, let's go get us some worship. But nothing was really... I mean, it's, it's the same. It's the same. You, you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going you're to say, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to work. Or let's, let's back this train up a little bit. When you first came to the Lord, when that first person came to you and said, did you know that Jesus died for your sin and wants to reconcile you back to God and solve that problem of you being separated from God, from God forever? The first time you heard that, were you going through the day going, hmm, I wonder where God is. Hmm. I'm just waiting for my life to change. I'm just waiting for somebody to show me. It's not that way. You were going just day to day. You were just going day to day. But the 30,000 foot view, God had a plan for your life. And I'm sure there's some people in here that have not given their life to Christ. And I'm sure of it. And, and there's no accident from the 30,000 foot view. God has placed you here. At this time, to intersect your life. It's not, it's, it, it's provision. You didn't get up this morning thinking, oh, my life is going to change. You didn't think that. Just like Rebecca didn't think that when she went to the well. 
But God is in the business of reconciling man to himself, and it can surprise you. So let's look at this with both frames of mind. We're going to start in verse 22. And just a quick bit. So the, the servant gets to the well, sees Rebecca, runs up to her, and she says, will you give me a drink? She says, yes, and I will also water your camels, which was an answer to the servant's prayer. And the servant sits there and gazes at her. And this is what it says in verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say this. There's a principle for us guys here. And so here it is. When, when your wife is working really hard around the house, sit back and... Oh, you know it's coming, huh? And just gaze at her. And when she says, um, can you help me? Say, well, you know, I'm checking to see whether or not God has prospered my journey. <laughs> I think there's a... I, I tried that last night. It didn't work. It, it, it didn't work. I, I, I got the eye. And, but I thought, wow, what a, there, there could be a principle. That might be preachable right there. Okay, on that note, let's, let's <clears throat> move on. What's funny is that'll be the only thing you remember in this whole message. Every guy in here will go home and try that one. Honey, can you shave the carrots? Okay. So verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. If we mix that up a little, we're talking about 40K in today's economy. The guy just put $40,000 worth of jewelry on her for, what do we say, maybe two hours of watering some camels. That's pretty good. And said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Now the servant gets really happy. We'll see why in a minute. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room for you to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who, was, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to, my, to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran home to her mother's household and told her about these things. So she finishes watering the camels. And this guy runs over and just adorns her with a huge amount of money. Now, there's a purpose in this, right? Now, this, I'm going to get back to the normalcy also of, of this section. When pretty soon we're going to be in chapters 27 to 32. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. And we'll see that, that Laban's household, this is uh, Ray, uh, Rebecca's brother. Uh, he's kind of a swindler. He's a little happy about the money. And, and there's no reason to believe that starting that this time right now is any different. Now, there's a, a bit of an argument that this entire story has been added in later. We talked about that a little bit last week. Because nobody had camels. <laughs> now, some of us just went, uh-huh, whatever. Okay, but back then... They, the camels weren't domesticated. People didn't have camels. Except for 
the phenomenally rich. And the servant didn't just bring one camel. The man's making a statement. When he brings a caravan of 10 camels and kneels them all down, he's making a huge statement. And he's saying, God has, the God that you people don't even know, by the way. Okay, you're a bunch of moon-worshipping idolaters. You don't even know this God. Has, has blessed my master Abraham beyond your wildest imagination. That's a statement that's being made right here. And so when, when this girl comes there and says, yes, I'll give you a drink. Now, I'm going to make a, I'm going to leap here. I'm going to make a step speculation and this is not there. It doesn't say this directly in scripture. But when you look at the household, I think we can deduce this. She isn't just phenomenally hospitable. She just isn't saying, oh, let me water your camels because this angel told me to water your camels. This guy is rich. And if she waters the camels, she's going to make some money. It's not that difficult. This is normal. Okay. Now, I want to be careful. That's why I said right up front. It doesn't say right here, Rebecca tried to make some money. It doesn't say that. But if we read from here and get kind of a whole character sketch of this family then I think we can deduce that this is just normal. Because then Laban, her brother, comes running out after he sees the 40K worth of jewelry on her and goes, I'm going to go meet this guy. You bet we got fodder. You bet we can stay in my house. You betcha. And so there's a normalcy. There's a normal day to day. This is the way people interact. But at the same time, don't forget the 30,000 foot view. God has ordained this woman to be the matriarch of the Jewish people and go down in history in this tree. Right? Don't forget that. So both the normalcy, just like your day and my day. You do things normally. I do things normally. We go through our day. That doesn't exclude the hand of God working in every one of those events. Just because it looks normal doesn't mean God is not developing and, and, and putting you together exactly the way he needs you, orchestrating your life so that when you bow your knee to him and you come to him, he says, this is the man, this is the woman for this task. I have created you and I have made you just the way you are because I have this for you. Respond to that. So he ends up, he, oh yeah, there we go. So he finds out that he's been double blessed. Not only is this girl an answer to her prayer, his prayer, and she's beautiful, and he's already, he's already deduced that she works hard, so she's a good fit for, for his master. But then he finds out, and he didn't know this ahead of time, that she is Nahor's granddaughter. Hmm. If we could see the chart, we would see Nahor is Abraham's brother. And Abraham sent the servant to find a daughter from his kinsmen. So out of all these people in this city, he found Nahor's granddaughter. Whew. And so he's double blessed, and what does he do? Well, it says, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord of my master Abraham. Now, I'm going to say that this has two purposes here. Again, these are moon-worshipping idolaters. They, uh, ziggurat, a moon-worshipping temple, 
right there. This is, this is a moon-worshiping center. And the geologists have found, or the, what do you call those people that dig up things? Archaeologists, thank you. They, they, they've dug them up and they know where these things are and that these, are, these were centers of the moon-worshiping culture. And so these people were not, were not people that knew Adonai. And when this servant bowed down right there in public in worship, I can hear him saying, wow, he keeps praying to the same God. I mean, every time he does it, he keeps saying, praise be the Lord. That's his name. Praise be the Lord. He keep, they don't go to this Lord and that Lord and this God and that God. And, or sorry, I shouldn't have said Lord there. All these different gods. This, this man is a monotheist, and, and that's probably a bit odd to them. And him worshiping in public there is making a huge contrast between him the God that's blessed Abraham and these people. He has created a huge contrast and he keeps doing it. You know, and there's a piece here also where I look at this servant and I say, wow, how many of us are totally cool with seeing a situation, seeing God's hand move and bowing our head down and going, wow, thank you, God, in public, in, in a place where the culture, uh, they're not good with that. And, and seeing that, because this is who I am. This is, this is who I am, and I'm going to bow my head. So she invites them to come, and then she runs home excitedly and tells mom all of these things. And then in verse 29, we meet Laban. Now, if you just get this one piece, you think, wow, Laban, he's a kind of nice guy. He runs out there. If you just scratch out that one piece about, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of his sister, thus the man spoke to me. Doesn't, doesn't really repeat what went on. Who cares? I saw the bracelets and the ring in your nose. I'm good. Runs out there, and behold, he was still standing by the spring. Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. So him and the man went and stayed at Laban's house. All right, so it's all starting to unfold now. Now, Laban is responsible for his sister and, and the marriage that's going to go on there, okay, culturally. And so at this point, and his dad is there, or her dad is still there, but we only see right at the very end his name mentioned. The man comes, they take care of the, the camels. And you can see him sitting around the fire because it's now time to eat and the meal is served. And there's this great line here where the servant is all about his business. The servant is here for a purpose. And it says here in verse 33, Then the food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And Laban said, Speak on. Let's hear it. And he unfolds for Laban this story of providence for him. And let's look at that. Now he said, I am Abraham's servant. Now, at this point, Laban could have said, who? Because we're going to get our history here. Abram left the land a hundred years ago. This is like one of your relatives in 1910 leaving Chicago and moving west to Colorado. Okay? And then him coming back to Chicago and saying, hey, I'm, and even using the wrong name. 
Okay? And so there's probably been some talk because Abraham is not a nobody. And it's not that far away. When Abraham defeated the kings in the valley, uh, Abraham became probably pretty close to a household name. I mean, he was the most powerful man around. And, and so my guess is these people had heard that story. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. Hear these words. And he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he was given all of it. What is he setting up here? We're looking for a wife. That's going to come out here next. But he's saying, this man has been blessed and he is rich. He's rich. He's here to get a wife, right? He's not, he hasn't said, he hasn't put any of the, he, he has one purpose. And that purpose is to really glorify his master, right? Make sure that they know that Abraham is blessed. My master made me swear, didn't talk anything about hand under the thigh. Anyway, my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house, to my clan, and take a wife for my son. But I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel before you. 30,000 foot view. Providence. Abraham knew it. And will prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be able, then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So we start off with, my master is blessed. And here is his desire. His desire is that my son does not marry a Canaanite. Desire one. He didn't say, interestingly, that his, his second desire is that he doesn't come back and live with you. He didn't put that in there. But his number one desire is that he does not marry a Canaanite. And I notice there's a number of junior hires in here, so I'm going to take a little detour here for a second. Why? Why is it that Abraham does not want his son to marry a Canaanite? This is the first place in Scripture that we see this this ever-unfolding link of purity in the line. And some actually, oddly enough, use this as some way to be racist. This kills me. But God wants his line to be pure. Bloodline. Because in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, from your line, all nations on earth are going to be blessed. All of them. Because the Messiah is coming through this people. Did you know, if you, if you go through and even look at this tree, it's really interesting. Take a, 
not a sharpie. Take something that you can erase and put dots next to the people that you see in scripture that like the way I like to say it is held the baton for God or held the torch for God. Never, never in the history of mankind has God ever been without a people that glorifies his name. Never. And all the way through there. And right now we have the church as, as brother Chris preached on second Peter two, one first Peter two. Thank you. First Peter 2, that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Why? So that we can declare the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into light. We have this torch. We have this baton now. There's always been this people all the way through. And here we see the start of that line remaining pure. And in the old covenant, that line stayed pure as a bloodline. Okay, as Hebrews. And why I'm taking this little detour now. In the New Testament, it tells us believers to not be unequally yoked. Because again, we too are a holy nation. And what does that mean to us? The family really is this, this foundation where we give our hearts and we take counsel from the people that we have the deepest relationships with. And every single time in Scripture, when the bloodlines mixed, the people who worshipped God began to worship idols. Every single time. And God knew that was going to happen. And he called it an abomination when you mixed the bloodlines. Because he didn't just say it's mixing the bloodlines. He said when you do that, you bring in their gods. And you will, because you decided it wasn't important to you, you will go over to worshiping false gods. And God says there are no other gods. Which means when you go to worshiping these other people, you're, you're like, you're this stupid I'm sorry. I just couldn't come up with a better, more syllable, syllable word there. It, there is no other God. And so you who've been created in my image, who I want, I desire to reconcile you to myself. You go and carve yourself a bird and put it over there and bow to it. Stop that. And when you give your heart to people and mix that bloodline, you just keep doing that. And it always, always happened. And in fact, God even used that as a way to test the people in Judges 3. He said, you know what? You didn't take all these people out of the land like I told you. So I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them to test your obedience to me. And what did they do? They intermarried. They started relationships with these people. And they began worshiping their gods. They do it every single time. So what is that for us as a new covenant church? When you give your heart away, and I mean relationally, horizontally with other people, it's no different. We're not, we're not somehow higher involved than the Old Testament people. When you give your heart away to people who believe in little birds and statues or secular humanism or this good philosophy or that good philosophy and say, you know what? That's cute, but it's a little too exclusive for me. If you were okay with giving your heart to them, you're okay with dropping your faith and taking on what they take on. And you may say to yourself, and I'm talking to teenagers, no way, I would never do that. But throughout history, there's 4,000 years of data points. They all did. All of them. 
be careful. And so Abraham knew that, and he said, do not get women for my son. Don't get a wife from Canaan. Keep it pure. And then we're going to see in just a couple of chapters, Esau goes and gets him a couple of Canaanite women, and it says it just brought bitterness to the family. Okay? And then you start seeing idol worship kicking in there. All right, let's move on to verses 42 through 49. So the servant tells him, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed him. Told him about the oath he took. And then he said, when I got here, I got to the well and I prayed. I said, Lord, it's been a long day, but I'm here. Will you prosper my way? And here's, will you show me? The woman that says, yes, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels, that's going to be the one. And I saw Rebecca coming and I saw that she was beautiful. He ran up to her, said, will you give me a drink? And he goes on and he tells the story of how God made, who answered his prayer directly with what Rebecca did. He's telling these people that God has provided, he's answered my prayer directly. But these people just don't sit back. I mean, the... They could have said, whatever. Nobody was there to hear his prayer, right? Nobody knows that he isn't just pulling a fast one. Nobody knows anything. But listen to their response. When he's all done, he gets to this moment of decision. I just love this. This servant's great. He says in verse 49, now, after he's told them all these things, here's what I prayed, here's what happened. I believe the Lord has prospered my way. He says... Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Let me know. Do you believe me? Do you believe me that the Lord, the God of Abraham, has prospered my way and has set your daughter, your sister, Rebecca, to be the matriarch of the Jewish people? And be the wife of my master. Do you believe all that? And we've been talking over dinner. We're 20 minutes into this. Are you ready to give me your daughter? Let her go away with me for you never to see her ever again. Never worship your gods. You don't get to see the grandkids. You ready? And here's their response. And I'm... I'm going to try not to process here because I'm still not, I haven't landed on this response yet. Then Laban and Bethuel, that's her dad, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, good or bad. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Give us the money. I mean, take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Now, I threw that little piece in there because that's just to indicate I, I haven't landed here. Right? Laban is a is a um, he's he likes money, okay? He is not just a businessman; he's a swindler, right? And we'll see that when he starts interacting with Jacob. Right? Laban is smooth, and here, after they've heard all of this thing, the God who they really don't even know, nor do they serve, they say, "Well, this has come from the Lord. Take her. Can you leave one of them camels here? <laughs> Can you?" Now, he didn't say that. But you get this picture because we have a character sketch of Laban. We have five chapters of Laban. We get to interact with Laban for five entire chapters. We know who Laban is. Okay? 
But either way, his answer, their answer is still the same. And as I, I ask this and I go, okay, could they have said, no, 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 no. No, we are not sending her with you. She's fantastic here. I, no. Now, even, it doesn't matter for what reason. Again, 30,000 foot view. God has built this, this providence in place for so long. And then I say, could they have said no right here? And there's no question that scripture says we have free will. There's no question that scripture says that, that even though all of these things are set up, I'm going to tread lightly right here, that at this point they could have said, no, go find another one. Now, I don't know what that ends up looking like. I, I don't know. But the question is not simply rhetorical. The question is not, we, these questions in Scripture are not just things that, well, of course they have to say, because they have to say yes, we're robots, right? God has already declared it, it's just going to happen. They are responding and saying, for whatever reason, whether, whether they have been wired and, and they've been in this situation where money is, is what they're about, and they'll give their daughter away for a double cheeseburger, but they're going to say yes, Okay? And this comes in also, I'm not going to go to Pharaoh, but if we think of Pharaoh when God says, you know, I hardened his heart so that, so that these things would happen this way. Right? But he still responded. He's the one that was responsible because he was held responsible for all those things. Right? How are they wired throughout their entire life? And this is a piece for us here. Right? God has wired you. Those of you who are believers now, you can sit back and you can look and say, wow, God has wired me this way. He's given me these gifts. He's given me these desires. And, and I see this place where he can use me to, to glorify him and to grow his kingdom because of all these different things that even happened before I was his. The way I grew up, the way I went to school, the things that happened to me. God has providentially put me in a place and made me who I am. But so often we, we don't look at that and see the hand of God at that 30,000 foot view. So essentially they said yes. For whatever reason, they said yes. Take her, go. Abraham's servant heard these words and once again, what did he do? He bowed himself to the earth before the Lord right there. And then he brought out jewelry and essentially paid the bride price. He gave them gifts and he essentially... I'm going to say it this way, purchased the bride. Okay? The, the money that he had brought, the gifts that he had brought to show that your daughter will be taken care of and they made the exchange. And then they went to bed. Long day. It's all done. We did the negotiations. It's done. It's done. She is going with him. Okay? It's concluded. And then they throw this other piece. In the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, mm <clears throat> Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days, then she may go. So what's going on here is she's about to go and get married. She's about to leave forever. We want to have that celebration. We want to send her away. Right? We, we don't want her to just go. We want to be able to, 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 to have a, a happy going away party. And that's what they're putting together here for 10 days. And he said, no, no. The Lord has prospered my way. 
Send me away with her now. And they said, hey, she's right here. Let her make the decision. And this is huge. Remember, we got a six. This girl is not very old. Okay. And and again, day to day to day. She wasn't even in the conversations, by the way. Did you notice that? Even when they gave the gifts, it doesn't say they gave gifts to her. They gave gifts to the sister. They gave. She wasn't even in that conversation. They were negotiating for her. But, you know, she was in the back listening. Abraham, where's he live? I hope it's an oasis because I kind of like shade. And, and she's just listening kind of in the background of all these things that are going on. And then in the morning, it's time to go. It's time to get up on the camel and start walking. And, and this girl is about to make a huge decision. Everything that is normal to her is about to just stop. Everything, the life, life the way she knows it. Her gods, her routines, her going down to the well every day, getting the water, coming back, cleaning the donkey. All of these things that she had to do every day was just about to stop. And she was about to go from Rebecca the water gatherer to Rebecca the matriarch of a nation. And I don't see her sitting around going, well, it's probably pretty good to get in at the bottom of a nation. You can kind of like direct how it's going to go. And, and I, I have some policies in mind that I'd really like to see. I just don't see Rebecca doing that, right? I mean, it's, it, it, that's just her whole life is about to change. Now, she may have a little adventure spirit in her, though. You know, when you read about Rebecca, through, there's some books called the, the, the Bad Girls of the Bible, the Really Bad Girls of the Bible, and the Mediocre Bad Girls of the Bible or something. There's a medium one. Rebecca made it into the Medium Bad Girls of the Bible. Okay? I mean, a girl has an attitude. And we see it a little bit later where it starts to flesh itself out. But, but I don't see her deciding that she wants to get in at the bottom layer of, of the nation so that she can see policies take place. But this is what she says. They ask her, will you go with the man? And she says, I will go. Now let's let this 30,000 foot view and this... This on-the-ground view of Rachel collide right here for us. For years, God has been working on your life. Those of you who know Christ can just testify to what God has done, what he did in your life before you came to Christ. You can testify what God has done in your life after you've come to Christ. I got to talk with some folks yesterday that were telling me how one of them came to to Christ really young, but... um, but just got tied up in the hustle and bustle and the normal rat race of life and just kind of, God was a secondary thing, whatever. And then something hit him where he said, God is either God and he is this provision and he has wired me through this for a time such as now, or he's not. And when he came to that realization, it was almost like somebody asking him, So will you go? And he stopped and he said, Oh yeah, put me on the camel. I'm going. I'm going. God, you've called me. I'm going. And each one of us are in that same, in that same place. Whether we've come to Christ already and can testify that God has done that for us, that we saw his hand providing, and and I love that's one of the best things about hearing testimonies, right? You hear that providential hand of God in someone's life when they finally see it, and they go, wow, God gave me this friend, and he gave me that friend, and he gave me this one person that just wouldn't stop loving me and telling me about Jesus, as annoying as it might have been, they'd never shut up about it. I couldn't escape it. 
But you didn't see that yet because you hadn't committed your life to grace. But then, then that day came when they said, so tell me, are you going to go? And I made a decision. And when I did, I could look back and go, wait a minute. God's been doing this for a long time. He drew me to himself in the normal day-to-day things of life. When I actually look back and look at it, I say, oh, yeah, God's been drawing me to himself. And boom, I'm his. I'm his now. And I'm going to get on the donkey and go. And that's what they did. So he took him. He took, he took Rebecca. They get on the donkey. The, I keep saying donkey. Oh, that's a little animal. Getting on the big, what do you call a donkey that has two humps? Oh. What about one that has three humps? Okay, anyway, so they get on the camels and they start walking, okay? And they, they start going back to Canaan. And it says that Isaac was, he, it says here in verse 62, Now Isaac returned from Bear the Hyroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And one day he's meditating. And that word could also be, he's just out for a walk. He's doing a walkabout. He's out in his field and he's just looking and he looks up. And now you know, Isaac knew Abraham sent the caravan to go get Rebecca months ago. Okay, at least a month ago. And I don't know how many of these walkabouts he's doing. Oh, yeah, she's going to be here pretty soon. He's looking around. That was day one. There's no possible way he could have come back that fast. Okay, so day two, he's still out there. Dang it, when are they going to get here? Well, finally, about two months later, he's out walking again. And he looks up and he says, wait a minute, there they are. And, and N plus two of them, are two more than what left, are coming back. I said that for the math guys, by the way. Yeah. So two more than left are coming back. And he's all excited. You can just see him. And so he starts walking toward him. And, I, and, and Rebecca says, who's that? And the servant says, that's my master. She bails up. And this turns into a chick flick. So they, she gets down off the camel. The servant goes to Isaac and tells him all the things. And now just imagine Isaac. He's a little worried. He doesn't know what's coming back. He doesn't know who's coming back. He doesn't know if they'll come back. And then the servant starts to tell him, Here's what God did. I, I went to the well, and I had the camels bow down there, and, and this girl came up, and I looked at her, and I said, oh, that's a good one. And I ran up to her, and God answered my prayer perfectly, perfectly. And so then I went to their house, and here's how they responded. And God so provided this wife for you. And Isaac's heart's just beating faster and faster and faster because it's, this is the woman that God has provided that... And it's so obvious, she would never, never lie to me or, or try and get me to give my blessing to the wrong child or all the things that are coming in chapters to come. He's not thinking any of that. God has provided this woman for me. And it says here in the end, verse 67, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. Interesting statement there. Remember the purpose here. This woman is to become the matriarch of the Hebrew nation. She's just not another wife, right? Which is why this story is so important to us. We see that God has created, has provided this woman to continue that chain in the nation. 
into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in the day-to-days, whether our eyes are open to see it or not, your hand provides for us. And God, your hand has provided for us reconciliation to yourself. God, you've given us Jesus, and as we come into this Easter season, and as we remember and celebrate Jesus rising from the dead after paying for our sins and bringing us back to God. God, I pray that each one of us could wrap our minds a little tighter around what it cost you to bring us back to yourself and how you've provided that for us. God, for those here today that, that have not committed their life to you, I just want to pray, God, that you would open their eyes and show them your provision. Show them how you've been walking them through their life even till today. And call them to yourself. Thank you for your word. Amen.